put all this on the pulpit first so I could test Ethan's strength and see if he was able to you pass. And Redemption Church, I'm just so glad to be with here, be here with you tonight. You know, Pastor Byron already said it earlier, but there ain't no Wednesday like a first Wednesday. And man, we've got people outside in the lobby on the stools. We have people up here on the floor. If you're here at a first Wednesday, if this is your first time at a first Wednesday prayer night, I just want to say welcome. I want to say thank you for, for being here. You're, you get to experience, you get to see the heartbeat of Redemption Church, that the prayer meeting, the prayer room. You know, Pastor Byron talked last week about the boiler room, that, that this church is, is fired. The power from our church comes from the... Ooh, that's where the power comes from. Hallelujah. <laughs> but the prayer meeting, this, this is the heartbeat of Redemption Church, and you can feel it. You can hear it in the feedback. But tonight, we're going to be continuing our series in... Spiritual disciplines for ordinary people. Last month, Pastor Byron brought a really great word about fasting, our favorite spiritual discipline. This week, we're going to talk about our second favorite spiritual discipline, which is Bible study, spending time studying God's word. And there's a book, one of the best books that has been written about the subject of spiritual disciplines. The author, his name is Richard Foster. Some of you might be familiar with this book. Some of you may have read it. It's titled The Celebration of Discipline. It's a classic work. And Foster, he opens the book, the very first chapter, he opens up the book with this. He says, superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant gratification is a primary spiritual problem. He says that the desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or of gifted people, but for deep people. For deep people. In other words, he's saying that the culture that, that we find ourselves in, the climate that we find ourselves in, it's, it's surface level, that, that it lacks depth. That we, we, We're in a culture that we want quick fixes. We want five simple steps. We want a 10-minute workout to get in the exercise that we need. I mean, we pay for food to be delivered to our house when the delivery fee is more than the food that we ordered, right? Like, like we want it and we want it now. We don't want to put in the hard work. We don't want to put in the hours, the time, the sweat to get the experience of change in our lives. And so when I think about the church in America, I think Foster is so right when he says we don't need more intelligent people. We don't need more you know, gifted or, or, or talented people. What we need, what the church desperately needs, we need people who are willing to go deep. People who will be disciples. This is, this is why the spiritual disciplines are so important. I'm so glad we're going to be doing this series throughout 2024, going over the spiritual disciplines, what it looks like for ordinary people, just like yourself, just like myself, to be more disciplined in the ways of following after Christ. The disciplines, that they call us to something more than just surface-level Christianity. Discipline does this. It allows us to be rooted so that God can grow us. Discipline is the way to go down deep. And when we go down deep, when we're rooted, when we find ourselves dug out deep into good soil, that's when God is going to grow you the most. If you want to experience life change through Jesus, then you put these spiritual disciplines in practice in your daily life. And God will begin to use them to grow you. And you will find yourself, after time, looking more and more like Christ. And the scripture says that as we focus our eyes on Christ, that slowly we're changed and we become more like him. 
in Bible study, this is where we begin to see Christ, to see Jesus most clearly. There's a survey that's been conducted since 2014. It's by a ministry called Ligonier. Some of you might be familiar with someone named R.C. Sproul, who's a great theologian who's since passed away. But his ministry, Ligonier Ministry, they, they conduct this survey, and it's called the State of Theology. We've mentioned some of their statistics here before, here at Redemption. But since 2014, every two years, they, they conduct this survey. And basically what they're doing is they're giving statements to Americans about what they believe about God, about the church, about salvation, about ethics, about the Bible and, and, and these different topics. And you can think of it like a theological thermometer, right, a, a, of the United States. They're, they're checking the, the theological temperature of our culture when it comes to these different topics. So here, here's just an example of some of the statements that Americans responded to. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. 53% of people agree. The Holy Spirit is a force, but he's not a personal being. 59% of people agree. Everyone sins a little, but most people, they're good by nature. 66% of people agree. Only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior will receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. Only 60% of people agree. The Bible is 100% accurate in everything that it teaches. Only 51% agree. And of all the survey findings that they've had since 2014, there's one statement that has consistently increased every year since 2014, and it's that the Bible is no different than any other religious text, that it might contain helpful stories, helpful uh, you know, examples from ancient myths that we should live by, but it's not true. 53% of Americans believe that. And if you ask young adults, those aged 18 to, says 34, you're not a young adult if you're 34, let me just tell you. <laughs> Or maybe I'm 36. Maybe you are. I don't know. I still feel like a young adult. But among adults aged 18 to 34, it's even higher at 58% believe the Bible is no different than any other religious text. So why do I share these? Why do I bring these statistics up? Well, I bring them up because I think it's clear that here in America, and I would imagine this is, we could, you know, put this out globally, that we struggle with biblical literacy. We, we struggle with understanding what the Bible says. We, we don't know what our Bible says. We're not familiar with the scriptures. And if you had to guess, what do you think the reason would be for that? We don't read it. We, we, don't, read our, we don't read our Bible. And to get to the heart of the matter for, for tonight, it's that many of us, we don't study the Bible. That we, we don't go beyond the surface level reading of the text and actually do the hard work, the discipline of studying God's word. And there, there's a variety of, of reasons for that, that many Christians struggle with studying the Bible. And I think it's fair to say that many of us here tonight, my, I include myself in this, we have room to grow in this area of Bible study. It's not simply about knowing what the Bible says either. It's not just that I've read the Bible or I know certain things that the Bible says, but it's about taking what the Bible says and then applying what the Bible says to our lives. We understand that Bible study is about transformation as much as it is about information. That it's not just about knowing what the Bible says, but that the goal of Bible study is it's, it's to be transformed. That, that as a, a new Christian, you know, we, we experience this very abruptly. When, when we first give our life to Christ, you know, our, our whole life has changed. Our world is turned upside down. You know, C.S. Lewis tells a story of his conversion, how he got on a train, an atheist, and he got off of the train, a believer. 
You know, that, that's how dramatic, you know, Trevor has shared his testimony before that, you know, he went to bed suffering from anxiety, depression, mental illness, and he woke up changed, healed of all, of all of the things, all the worries, all the anxieties. They were just gone miraculously overnight when he gave his life to Christ. He also was wearing a, a rain jacket and I, on stage. Uh, it's not raining, but... But we experience this as new Christians. We see this dramatic change because what God has done, he's rescued us from our old lives. But what will happen is, is, is life goes on as a Christian. The Christian life is going to become more difficult. The changes that we saw early on in our Christian walk, they're gonna be, they, they begin to seem fewer and far between. It takes longer. It's more difficult. It's more challenging to continue as we move forward in our, in our walk with Christ. And this is what Jesus promised us, that, our, that the Christian life is not easy, that it's taking up a cross, it's bearing burdens, that trouble is going to follow us as, as Christians. You know, I've been a Christian now for almost 20 years, and there's still seasons where, where I ask myself, why am I not seeing change in my life? Why am I still struggling with these particular sins? Does anybody else ever find themselves in this place? You know, why am, I, why am I not effective in my evangelism? Why do I struggle with sharing my faith? Why is it so difficult for me to have joy? Why is it so hard for me to trust God in this season of suffering that I'm walking through? Why is it so hard to see the fruits of the Spirit in my life? Peace, patience, kindness. I'll have to look up the rest of them in Galatians to read them to you. <laughs> why, is it, why is it so hard for me to have joy why can't I trust God as I'm walking through these difficulties? You see, you, you attend church regularly, and, and you serve on a serve team. You're in a, you're in a small group. You worship passionately, and you pray regularly. You do all these things, but for some reason, you still seem to not be experiencing life change. And so what I want to tell you tonight is that part of the answer to these struggles, it, it's within arm's reach that it's, it's one face ID scan into the government's database on your iPhone <laughs> from you being able to experience life change. And so as we study these spiritual disciplines, and, and particularly as we look at Bible study tonight, we need to understand that their central purpose is transformation, that we're, we're working toward taking these old habits, these old destructive habits, and we're replacing them with new habits, with life-giving habits. <laughs> And there's nowhere in no other spiritual discipline you'll see this more clearly than specifically in Bible study. This is what Paul tells us. If you look in Romans chapter 12, he says that our minds will be renewed when we're transformed. That we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. How, how is your mind changed? How is your mind transformed? It's the things that you apply to it, the things that your mind takes in. That's why Paul tells you to think about heavenly things. Because the things that we take into our mind, the things that we watch, the things that we read, the things that we hear, these things change us. They transform us. And if we want to be more like Christ, then we need to look at the scriptures where we see Christ most clearly and we will be transformed. It starts with the renewal of your mind. We read in John chapter 8, Jesus, he's talking to his audience and he says this, that if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What he's saying is that freedom comes from knowing and applying the truth to your life. If you want to be free, 
you need to understand God's word. You need to read. You need to study God's word. He doesn't just say that the truth will set you free. No, he says that you will have knowledge of the truth, and then the truth will set you free. You have to know the truth in order to apply the truth to your life, and then you will begin to experience freedom. It comes from knowing and applying. That, that's the mark of discipleship. The mark of being a disciple is to know the truth and then to apply that truth to your life. It comes from studying God's word. And so for some of us, what, what might be holding us back from the transformation in our lives, it could be just ignorance of the truth, that we, we just haven't read our Bible enough, we haven't studied our Bible enough, or we haven't studied the scriptures in the right way to be able to experience that freedom, to be able to experience that life change. It may be the one thing that's just missing from your spiritual walk. And I want to help you be able to add to it uh, tonight. So I want to look at that question, and I want to look at some reasons, you know, why don't we study our Bible what does the Bible say about Bible study? And then practically, Pastor Brian's already given us a tool. We'll talk a little bit more about that at the end tonight. But I want us to have some tools. I want us to be equipped so that we can study our Bible effectively. The biggest question I believe many of us would have is, well, how do I do it? It's not that I don't want to. I want to read the Bible. I want to study the scriptures. I, I, I just need some tools. I need some resources. I need something practical to help me figure my way along this journey. And so I want to give us some of those things tonight. But one of the first things I want to ask is, is why don't we study our Bibles more? And there's a couple of reasons that I feel would resonate with, with many of us. And I want to dispel some of these as, as myths. So the first one is this. Reason number one, the Bible's hard to understand. The Bible is hard to understand, okay? And we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But, but this is what some of you right now, this is what you're saying. But Brandon, you know, I, I've tried to read the Bible I just, I just don't get it. I don't understand it. It's, it's too difficult. How did Noah get kangaroos on the ark? I just, don't, I just don't understand. And this is what you want to hear when you say that, when, when, you, when someone says, what, what's, what are you reading right now in the scriptures? You know, what are you studying? What, what passages are you reading? And, ooh. You, want, you want somebody to respond with this. You know, you're right. The Bible, the Bible is too difficult. But you know what? I, I appreciate that you've tried. I appreciate, you know, you've, you've put forth the effort to read the Bible. I'm sure it was strenuous. I'm sure it was difficult. I'm sure you're, you're now weary. You can put down your iPhone. You can take your blue eyeglasses away and set them down. <laughs> Don't want the light to, to hurt you. And you can rest. You can rest. It was, it was challenging. It was hard for you to read the Bible. We feel guilty, like we feel bad when we haven't read the Bible, when we, we don't spend the time that we know we're supposed to be spending in the scriptures. And I agree, there are certain things in the Bible that are difficult to grasp. There, there are things that will take time to have a better understanding of. There will, there will be things in the scripture that you read that you will need to be diligent in your study to be able to fully grasp and understand them. And there will be some things that we will just never fully understand about the scriptures, you know, Trevor did a really great job the other night. He was teaching about, the morning, excuse me, teaching about the Trinity and trying to help better explain the, the, the Trinitarian nature of God. But we can only go so far with that before it becomes an area of mystery where God just has not given us all of the information to have a better understanding of that. There are some things in the scripture like that, but the truth is God has not spoken to us in such a way that we cannot understand what he has said. Historically, there's a doctrine here. It's called the doctrine of perspicuity. It's a big, fancy college word that you don't need to know. 
Just know that it means this, clarity. It means clear, that the, that the Bible is clear. Pastor Ryan has shared this quote, and I, and I love it. He says it this way, that the Bible is like an ocean. It is shallow enough for a child to swim, but deep enough for a theologian to drown. That, that's what we have in, in, in the scriptures. You, you can go to the Bible, a child can understand the message of the gospel that Jesus died for their sins so that they can be with him. A child can read and understand this message, but we can also get into the Trinitarian nature of God, and we can talk about penal substitutionary atonement, and we can, we can dig in deep into theology. But while the scriptures can be difficult, the scriptures are clear, and we can understand what the Bible says. God would not have spoken to us in a way that we could not enter into relationship with him. And I will say this also, if you can read Facebook posts about the January 6th conspiracies and the attacks in Washington, you can read the Bible, okay? You, if you can decide for half of the things you read on Facebook, then you can understand the scriptures. Here's another reason, maybe this resonates with you, that the Bible's boring. If some of us are being honest, we, we have thought this before. If, if I were to press you, maybe... You know, the Bible's too hard to understand, and maybe you respond, okay, well, you know, I can, I can understand what the Bible says, but it's just, it's just boring. Some of the stuff is just boring. Or, you, or you maybe you say it like this, that when you read the Bible, it's just a challenge to stay focused. It's a challenge when I read the Bible to stay engaged with the Scriptures. How is it that, that Moses, who lived so long ago, that, that story can mean something for me in my, in my life today? There's, there's a whole book of numbers. I keep all my numbers in my iPhone because I can't remember them, but... <laughs> How does, how does this apply to me? And this isn't in my notes, but I thought about this earlier when we were listening to the, the last song in the room. What are, what are they doing in the chorus of that song? Ask those Hebrew boys. It's Bible stories. They're just quoting stories from the scriptures for encouragement so that, they, that we would be encouraged now by a story that happened then, thousands of years ago. The Bible's not boring. The problem is that we just haven't read the Bible enough. The Bible, if, if you read the Bible, it's, it's the greatest book that's ever been written. It's got the, the prose, the poetry. When you get into Psalms and Proverbs and the wisdom uh, and songs of Solomon, the stories that you find in the scriptures, there's romance, there's crime, there's betrayal. The Bible is a lot like a better version of Game of Thrones. <laughs> just like way, I'm mostly joking, but... The Bible is, is a wild book. <laughs> There's a reason you have authors like C.S. Lewis who, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia based off of the story of the scriptures. There's a reason why the Lord of the Rings that J.R.R. Tolkien wrote this book based off of the stories of the Bible. Like they didn't come up with that on their own. Think about that for a moment. Those stories started here and they've been transformed in some of the greatest works of literature that the world has ever known but their story is here in our Bible. So the Bible, it's not boring. We just need to read it. We need to spend time in it. This is why Bible study is called a discipline because it can be hard. It can be challenging. Reading any book for that matter. Some of us, it's just not natural to us to read any book, much less the Bible. And so it's gonna be more difficult, more challenging for us. But on a, on a more serious note, most importantly, the scriptures contain the truth that leads to salvation. So it may have stories of crime, it may have stories of romance and of passion and all of this amazing literature in the books of our scriptures, but the most important thing is the story of redemption that is contained in your Bible. 
that it points us to Christ. It points us to who Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished for us. It, it points us to our, our condition, our human condition before God. And so it may be challenging at first to work your way through the Bible, but as you begin to read it, I will promise you this, it will begin to read you. This, this is my story. You know, Pastor Byron and I, we were in a Bible study almost 20 years ago now. And in that Bible study, we, we began to read the scriptures. We didn't know where to start. We didn't know how to read the Bible. We just knew that the Bible was God's word and we just needed to read it. And so we would just pick different topics on Wednesday nights, just like we're doing now. And we would sit in our friend David Lilly's trailer and we would just read the Bible and we would fight and we would argue, are aliens real? <laughs> Nothing was off the table for the conversations that we had, but what we realized is that the Bible changed us by studying it, that we were transformed. You know, we, we hear redemption's emphasis on Bible studies, or excuse me, on small groups and why we believe they're so important. Spending time in the scriptures, studying God's word with your friends and with your family, with your other church members. We've been doing that for almost 20 years. There's a reason. We, we know that it works. It's not just because we think it's a good idea or we want nine of the 10 people to get a free meal from the one person who cooked. <laughs> it's about life change. It's about experiencing God's word changing you. And so it might be hard, but you need to begin reading it. The author of Hebrews says it like this, that the word of God is living and effective, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to separate the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. There is no other book in history that carries these attributes except for the Bible as the word of God. And so, yes, sometimes the Bible can be under, hard to understand, and sometimes it can be a challenge to engage with the Bible. But that's why this is a discipline. It takes exercise. It takes commitment. You have to realize that there, it may be difficult now, but it will result in life transformation in the future. Let me give you one more reason. I don't have time. I believe that might be many of our reasons for, for not reading the scriptures. And I'm going to go into more detail in a moment, but I want to say it the way that Pastor Byron often says about prayer. If you're too busy to read the Bible, then you're too busy. That's just the truth. If you're too busy to, too busy to read the Bible, you're too busy. As a Christian, if we understand that the Bible is God's word, that it's God speaking, then we ought to know we need to commit spending time in it. It's, it's no different than spending time with, with your spouse or spending time with your friend. You, you can't get to know somebody without being in relationship with that person, without spending time with them, without knowing about them. You can't develop a relationship with God without spending time in the word with him. And, and that's intuitive for us. We know that when it comes to our relationships with other people. So why is it so difficult for us to understand that with our relationship with the Lord that it works the same way? You know, Jesus in the parable of the sower, he tells us that there was the seed strewn amongst thorns, that the, the word of God went out and the seed that was strewn among the, storm, the thorns was like those of us who hear God's word, but the worries of the world and the lure of wealth choked it out and it was unfruitful. In other words, the things that we, we worry about, the things that we care about, the things that distract us in this life, if we allow them, if we don't manage our time the way that we should, then the things of the world can take up so much of your time, energy, and attention that you will not bear fruit, that it will choke out the word of God in your life. And I, I didn't have this in my notes earlier, but real quick, I'm just going to give you four things very practical to help you do this when it comes to time management. Number one, very easy, schedule it. Put it on a calendar. We're not talking about a devotional where you just read, you know, that daily devotion for 45 seconds. There's nothing wrong with that. That's good. There's 
spiritual health and benefits and devotion. But when it comes to Bible study, schedule it. Put it on a calendar. Rearrange things if needed. Number two, make it easy. Have your Bible out. Have it ready. Have your pens and your highlighters and your pencil. Have it ready to go. Leave it on the kitchen table. Leave it on your office desk. Leave it on your desk at work. Make it easy for you to just pick it up. It's there, and you can do it. Number three, have a plan. This is one of the most challenging. This is, this is the magic eight-ball approach to the Bible where we take it and we just... Or maybe we'll do the... Oh, Nehemiah. God dang it. Have a plan. Pick a book. What do you want to read? Read a gospel. I would recommend starting in the Gospel of Mark if you've never read through your Bible. But you can start in Genesis. You can start wherever you want, but pick a book of the Bible. Have a plan. This is the book that I'm going to read. Number four, last thing very quickly before I move on. Read with somebody and talk about it. Have a group. Have accountability. Hey, would you, would you mind reading through the book of Mark with me? It's only 16 chapters. It moves by very quickly. And have somebody ask you, you know, hey, have you read this week? What did you read? What did you think about Mark chapter 1? What did you think about Mark chapter 2? Have accountability. Have somebody read along with you. Four very easy, very practical ways when it comes to the reading the Bible. But I want to get into the real reasons, the real problems. Here, here are the real problems behind our Bible study when it comes to spending time in the Scriptures. And, and I don't think we often consider this. For me, it wasn't something I considered. I, I had a lot of prayer before I came up here tonight because as I thought about this particular predicament, I felt very burdened about this because it just was not something I considered before. And, and this is what it is. It's number one, a real problem, the spiritual battle. That sometimes our struggle to read the Bible is often spiritual and not physical. That there's things that we can do, practical things. We can schedule the time. We can put it on our calendar. But we need to understand that Satan does not want you to read the Word of God. Don't misunderstand me. I'm, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not, I don't believe that every bad thing's happened. Every bad thing is because of a devil or, or it's demonic. We've talked about the flat tire demon, right? <laughs> You don't need to put holy water in your radiator to get rid of the automobile <laughs> demon because your car won't start. But what I am saying is that we are participating every single day in a very real spiritual battle. This is how Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 6, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There's a very real spiritual battle that is taking place around us. And so what does Paul do? He says, put on the armor of God. Amen. So what is, what is the armor of God? Paul says to, to put it on, to ready ourselves, be strong in the Lord, be prepared against the devil's schemes. So the armor, we have, we have the belt of truth. We have the, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. But think about this. What is our weapon? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That when we enter into battle, that our weapon, our weapon is the word of God, the sword of the spirit. And so think about this for a moment. What would be the most advantageous thing for the enemy for you to not carry with you into battle? A weapon. To, to have no way to defend yourself. Without the word of God, you are defenseless against the enemy. You're, you're unable to take ground from the enemy. He wants you to go in empty-handed, unable to defend yourself. And this, is, this has been what Satan has been doing since the beginning, that he's been twisting and distorting and attacking God's word. We read all the way back in Genesis with Eve. What, what does he ask Eve? What does he tell her? Did God really say? 
Jesus, when he's tempted by the devil in the desert, how does Jesus defend himself? The word says, it is written. He uses the scripture to defend against the attacks of the enemy, that there is a spiritual battle that we are all engaged in. And if you don't study your Bible, you are defenseless against the enemy. It can't be any more serious than this. This is why this discipline is so important for us to begin to grasp. The enemy, he wants you to doubt God's word, to not find it trustworthy, to not find it reliable. He doesn't want you to know it because he knows that that is your weapon against him. So when you find yourself in those seasons where you're struggling to read the word of God, when you, when you, don't, when you don't feel like you want to do it, when you can't seem to make the time to do it, pray and recognize that there is an attack from the enemy on your life. You need to spend time in, in prayer about that. Of course, there are, there are practical things we can do. Sometimes, absolutely, it is our flesh, but we need to understand the reality behind it is there is a spiritual battle that has taken place. And so we need to make that choice, that decision to be prepared. We can give you the tools, but you've got to put the armor on. You've got to be the one to pick up the armor to gird your loins, as they would say. <laughs> I don't fully know what that means, but you, you need to put on the armor. I feel like that's like putting on a cup in football or something. <laughs> but you have to put on the armor of God. You have to use the tools so that you will be equipped. The second problem is the spiritual discipline. So there's the spiritual battle and there's the spiritual discipline. The battle is taking place, but we have to do that hard work of putting on the armor of God, of taking up the sword of the spirit to be able to defend ourselves. You know, I mentioned earlier that one of the things that we struggle with many times, very, very common, is the time. And the truth is this, though, you can't make time. You can only steward the time that you have. There's only so many hours in a day. You can make the best use of the time that you do have, but you can't make more time. Our time is limited. Our time is, is precious. And so we ought to manage our time in a way that honors God. Come on. This is discipline. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Be careful how you live. Do not walk as the unwise, but as the wise. Doing what? making the best use of your time, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. That we live in a, in a wicked and a crooked generation. Our culture, we have to be prepared. We have to be making the best use of, the best use of our time. Listen to what he says right after this. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is for your life. So he's saying, don't be unwise, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is for your life. Well, how, how are we going to understand what the Lord's will is for our lives? It begins with the scriptures. It begins understanding what the Bible says about me, about my position, about who I am before God. That's how I begin to understand what the Lord's will is for my life. So don't be foolish. Don't be unwise with your time. Make the time to read the scriptures, to understand God's will for your life. The foolish person does not prioritize their time to understand God's will for their life. The wise person makes the best use of their time so that they can. So be careful how you live. Don't, don't live in such a way that you allow the, the day-to-day activities to begin to take precedence over spending time with God, studying his word. Look, you may have to make sacrifices in your routine. You, have, you, you may have to make changes in your schedule to make this happen, but that's what discipline is all about. Discipline isn't meant to be easy, it's about making sacrifices now, about making the hard choices now so that in the future, you begin to gain reward. 
you begin to see the fruits of your labor. The thing that you're going to gain in the end will be more valuable than the things that you sacrifice now. That the discomfort that you feel now is going to be worth the results that you experience later. It takes discipline. You know, it's been, I think, yeah, this year will be six years since I started training Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I've been, I'm a purple belt in jiu-jitsu. It doesn't matter. But almost six years now. And the reason being is because of Trevor Knox. Trevor Knox got me into uh, jiu-jitsu. Always been a a big MMA fan. And and he finally convinced me uh, when he started coming to Redemption, actually, to go and get beat up by him. Uh, (laughs) And it's funny with with guys specifically. Like, I don't know what it is, but we just have... We just think we can fight. And I don't know what it is, but I learned very quickly that we can't. Like, well, we absolutely can't. So if you think you can, you can't. And, and don't try it. Uh, you cannot fight. And I found this out in jiu-jitsu against a 14-year-old, okay? So I, st- I started jiu-jitsu. I was 30 years old. I came in, best shape of my life, so I thought, and strong. And I see this kid, Logan, he's a yellow belt. And... Uh, why do they even have that color as a belt? His yellow belt. And so he was my very first person I ever sparred in jiu-jitsu was, was this guy, Logan. Very good kid. Still trained with him. And uh, anyway, so we, we start our round. We start sparring. And very quickly, he began to just beat me to death. That's what happened. <laughs> and I remember Trevor and, and Damien, my professor, they're watching. And they're like, if Brandon survives, that is actually pretty impressive. Oh, God! <laughs> And then he armbarred me and almost broke my arm off. And so what I realized then is like, if I want to do this, if I want to get any better at this, if I want to be able to defend myself against young teenagers, <laughs> then I need, to do, I need to practice. I need to have discipline. And so I started training much more regularly, three, di- three days a week, four days a week, sometimes six classes a week. And I've been doing that for almost six years now. And it has not always been fun, but very similar to the door, the, the sign above the door to keep showing up. It's very similar with jujitsu. You just have to keep showing up. You get things broken and hurt. You get six stitches in your eyebrow from a headbutt. I mean, it sometimes does not always go well, but you keep showing up. You stay disciplined. And now Logan still beats me to death, but, but we've been training. He's been training longer than me and he's much bigger now, but but it takes discipline, and discipline is not always easy. So I want to wrap up with just a couple of things really quick with some scripture. With What does the Bible say about Bible study? What does the scriptures have to say about the scriptures? And one of the passages I want to look at very quickly is Psalm 119. We couldn't put the whole uh, passage on the board because Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible. It's 176 verses. And if you had to guess, what do you believe that this passage might be about? about the word that the longest chapter in your bible is about the bible something to that the longest chapter in your bible 176 verses dedicated to the scriptures i just want to read some of the things that the psalmist writes about how great how amazing god's word is he starts out he says this blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the law of the lord blessed are those who keep his testimonies who seek him with their whole heart who do no wrong, but they walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes, that I shall not be put to shame, having fixed my eyes on all of your commandments. He goes on to say that I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. He says, teach me, O Lord, the ways of your statutes, that I will keep them into the end. 
to give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my heart, that God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And you can continue reading through Psalm 119 and all the ways that the psalmist praises God for his word, for his revelation to us. Look, God's word is powerful. God's word is alive. And if, if you're spiritually hungry, what does Jesus say that man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word from God? God's word is powerful. If you're thirsty, that there, there's a well of water for you to drink from in, in God's word. And I want to end this on a practical note for you. So as the worship team is coming up, it's not raining, Jason. Um, yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> there is a drip in the back. If you're in the back row, Trevor can let you borrow his uh, new building coming soon. But if you could real quick throw something up on the board, I, I want to show you a picture. I don't, want, I don't want anybody to be intimidated by this or think it's overwhelming or too much. It does look a little much. Um, the passage I'm about to read to you, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, this is, these are some of my, my markings. Strap locks, my friend. Uh, these are some of my markings from looking at this passage. And there's a way of studying the Bible. There's, there's another one that Pastor Byron has in the ebook. And what I want to show you is that there's many ways that you can study the Bible. The most important thing is that you study your Bible. In, in the ebook that Pastor Byron has given all of us, there's a method of Bible study called the Swedish method, nothing to do with the fish. Uh, and it's a very good way to study the Bible. It's a very good way to, to get into the text and to put you to, in, in a position to ask questions of what the Bible is saying. And so I would encourage you, download that uh, ebook and read it. Byron, Pastor Byron did a great job putting that together as a resource for all of you. And there's another method. This is one that I'm very familiar with that's called the inductive Bible study or inductive study of the scriptures. Some people might be familiar with this. And that's how I approach this passage. It's very simple. It's just three steps. Observation, interpretation, and application to look at the text and say, what's here? What does it say? Who, who are they writing to? Why did they write the letter? What's, what's going on in this passage? You don't need a commentary. You don't need to consult anybody. You can do it all yourself. You could open your Bible right now to a passage and begin to ask those questions of the scriptures. And then look at the context. What, what's the context of this passage? What's the culture of the audience? How does it relate to other passages? There's cross-references in your Bible. Uh, and then the last one is application. How does this affect my life? How, how do I respond to this passage? So just real quick, some things that we see in this passage about God's word. Number one, Paul's telling Timothy to continue in the things that you have learned. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe it. You don't just study the Bible once. You don't just study the Bible for a season, but that you continue to keep yourself acquainted with the scriptures, that you continue to follow after Jesus until Jesus comes back or you go to him. He says that the sacred writings are able to give you wisdom, wisdom that leads to salvation in Jesus Christ. Not worldly wisdom, that's foolishness, but godly wisdom that will lead to life, that will lead to salvation. In Proverbs, we read this, that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. As we begin to know God, we begin to fear him, we begin to, to honor him, to be in awe before him. And this knowledge leads to wisdom so that we will know the will of the Lord for our lives. You can see it's all connected. It's all here. You can have knowledge without wisdom, but you can't have wisdom without knowledge. We have to get it from your head to your heart and to your hands to put it into practice. Remember who you learned from. Know who you have learned from. There's going to be people that you encounter in your lives 
remember the things that they teach you, the wisdom that they give you. There are people who know the scriptures better than you and better than me and better than Pastor Byron. And when they talk, I listen. Don't be the smartest person in the room. Be the person willing to listen to those who have come before you who understand God's word. Understand that the scripture is inspired by God, that it's God-breathed. This is where that deep Bible study becomes so important. The word here for God-breathed is theonustos. It literally means that the, that the word of God in your, in your Bible is breathed out by God himself. Written by the hands of human authors, but breathed out the breath of God in this book. We don't understand that without the deep Bible study going into the Greek. I can't read Greek, but there's a lot of people who can read Greek and I read them, right? Theonustos, God-breathed. Understand that the scripture is profitable for teaching. The number one priority of the Bible is always going to be to teach you, to teach you the way to salvation, to teach you how to live a godly life, to walk in a godly way. Some of us, you know, we, we read the scriptures and we think that studying the Bible, that's for theologians. We don't have to be theologians. I just need to know who Jesus is. And there's some truth to that. But when I ask you the question, well, who is Jesus? And you answer, well, now you're doing theology. Now you need to be in, in, in the scriptures. Who is Jesus? We're all theologians. Some will just not be good theologians. But we all should be here. Scripture, it's, it's, it's practical. It's profitable for reproof, for correction for training in righteousness. Paul says that if you read the Bible, it will guide you just like the psalmist. It's like a lamp unto your feet, a light unto your path. The Bible will guide you throughout your life. It will correct you. It will move you and guide you and direct you on a path of righteousness. And lastly, I would just leave you with this. The Bible will equip you for everything you need to live a godly life. Surround yourself in community. Be with people who will support you, encourage you, hold you up, bear your burdens. Those commands are here in the scripture, but the scripture will give you all that you need to be equipped. All the tools that you need are here in God's word. So like it says in the book of Hebrews, don't, don't be someone who just lives on milk, who is still an infant, not acquainted with the teachers of righteousness, but rather have solid food for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Read your Bible, study your Bible, and God will guide you on the path of righteousness.